As young talent goes, it doesn't get much more prodigious than that possessed by Thea Shurek. At the age of just 24, she became the youngest ever artistic director of a British theatre when she took over at the Southwark Playhouse in 2001. Among her many subsequent critical and commercial successes were productions with Kevin Spacey and Benedict Cumberbatch in plays at the Old Vic and National Theatre. It was perhaps inevitable she'd make the transition from stage to screen, with her first major assignment an adaptation of Henry V for the BBC. Garnering rave reviews, it boasted an all-star cast, including John Hart as a narrator and Tom Hiddleston in the title role. The game's afoot. Follow your spirit. And upon this charge, cry God for Harry, England and St George! Now she brings us her first feature, Me Before You. Based on Jojo Moy's best-selling novel, it tells the story of a romance between a paralysed man and his carer. It's scored by one of the best in the shape of Craig Armstrong, whose award-winning back catalogue includes Ray, Love Actually and Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which creative luminaries reflect on the interaction between sound and vision. Thea's thoughts on the subject are absolutely fascinating, not least because of her theatrical background, but her education began, as it so often does, with a crate-digging older sibling. Rock and roll radio. Come on, let's rock and roll with the remote. We're going to talk music, yeah? Let's talk music. That's all right. Can we talk generally before we talk specifically about things? Yes, about we can. where music fits in to life. Wow, good question. <laughs> Music's always been around. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think back to being a kid at home, and I've got one brother who's a bit older than me. He's also that much older that he used to try and make me seem a lot cooler than I ever could be. Yeah. And teach me about the Ramones, like way ahead of anybody else. So I would go into school and when everyone else was talking about like, aha, I'd go. I think actually my favorite band is probably the Ramones. Hey! He taught me a lot about Scar and reggae. Great. Um, so I used to go and go, I think actually Scar is probably my favourite kind of music. <laughs> I like not really know what I was talking about. <laughs> so brilliant, like aged eight or something insane. Everyone else is into Pete Waterman. Yeah, exactly, yeah. totally. <laughs> so... Yeah, music's always been around. Uh, and in fact, one of the 
pieces in my film. Am I going too specific? No, it's good. Go for it. The Mozart. That is totally the piece that will always remind me of being a kid at home. You know, my mum used to play that piece all the time, so it was a kind of really obvious go-to choice for me, and actually it felt like it fit the moment perfectly. Yeah. They played it live on the day in that church. The sound was absolutely incredible. So it's one of the few bits of music that was played live and we're using the live recording. It was just one of those moments where we did lots of rehearsals just for the camera and we'd get to the point where the orchestra would start and then we'd stop so that we didn't I mean, they didn't get tired, but you know what I mean? You yeah. You just do a lot of practice before they actually have to do their bit. And then the AD said, OK, are you happy with what the camera's doing? And I said, yes. He said, OK, so this time we're just going to let them go and keep going. And I said, great. And we had, I don't know, like 150 extras in that day and probably, you know, the usual crew of 50 or a bit more. So that it was kind of packed and they started playing. And it was, you could just feel everyone just got completely transported in that amazing way that music can do. Uh, it was a really gorgeous, gorgeous moment. With me before you, with Jojo writing the screenplay as well, I imagine in her mind she had a soundtrack in her head. Was it something you discussed <coughs> with her at all? Or did know, you it's very really much? interesting. That's the first time anyone's said that. And she's never yet mentioned music when she writes. So I don't know if that's true. I know the characters are incredibly kind of visual entities in her mind, but music, she's never really brought that up. So no, that's the one thing that I completely did on my own all the way through the process, because it started right at the beginning, A, with the choice of composer. Craig Armstrong, yeah. And he was the first person I thought of, because I just looked back at his catalogue, which is incredible. It takes you about a day to read it. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, his album for that really blew me apart. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, I remember so clearly the impact of that. It's such a cool album. And I think he completely understood what Baz was trying to do and obviously worked very closely with him, but boy, did he deliver on that. And then similarly, Love Actually, totally at the other end of the spectrum in many ways, but that also stuck with me. So those were the big things. I just thought this is the right guy for me.
At what point did he come on board? He came on board during filming. We had done maybe a couple of weeks and basically I spoke to him as soon as I could. He'd read the script and luckily he loved it straight away and responded to it really well. Pretty early on, I started giving him an idea of A, stuff that he'd done of his that I loved and what was kind of in my head, you know, and yeah. other albums that I was thinking about or particular songs, you know, and I just sent them all to him and kept sending them to him. He saw the first cut and he wrote what ended up being essentially called the love theme immediately. It was really interesting. He had a really quick reaction. And then we developed that theme throughout the film. It was interesting because that was the bit that he got absolutely bang on <laughs> and then there were other moments where the tone could have gone either way and he thought I wanted to go one way but actually I wanted to go another so as soon as I was in the room with him and explaining as we, we so we could watch the film and talk about it at the same time he totally got where I was going. That's the fascinating thing, I think, is that the pictures might be telling you one thing, but you put in a piece of music and it can take you in... Well, you can choose what it direction emotionally can. it takes you in. Absolutely. That can override the pictures. Completely. There was a particular bit where he wrote the most beautiful piece of music, and when I watched it with that music, I was like, oh, my God, I'm feeling something completely different. And I kind of loved it, but I knew that it was too early to feel it. And that's what I said to him, I can't feel that yet. We have to hold on to that feeling and save it for later. And he was like, oh, yes, oh, I get it. You know, and he's so quick. So I would sit in his studio and he'd go, do you mean this? And he'd go and sit by the piano and just play something. And I'm like, oh my God, this is happening for real. <laughs> um, it was amazing. He's like a gentle giant. Yeah. He's just fantastic collaborator. And we just took the piss the whole time. It was a really, really easy working relationship. <laughs> a dog in the house. It was interesting to talk about Craig and that relationship he had 
because I imagine one of the hardest things is putting music to Shakespeare or yeah. deciding how you use music with Shakespeare. Yeah, it tells you so much. Baz nailed it totally. in terms of making it contemporary. Oh, I love that. You know, and reviving it, I think, for a completely for, and making it accessible for a whole for new generation, yeah, right? Totally. It just came to life. Hate hell, all Montagues. And thee. You know, working on the Hollow Crown, for example, and, yeah. and deciding on the music that you use for that, how did you approach that? Again, the choice of composer is everything, obviously, and who you're collaborating with. So when I came to do Henry, I asked Adrian Johnson. I knew his music really through film. I asked him to come and do a piece of theatre for me, first and foremost. Um, so he did a, a show I did at the National Court after the dance, yeah. which had very little music in it. But I realised at the end of the process, he'd written a beautiful piece of music for the opening. There were two intervals, so he had music for both of those to come in and out of the intervals, if you like, and then the end. setting the scene because the set was exactly the same and okay the lights were very different and the lights and the music worked beautifully together but the music was absolutely essential in making sure that the audience were feeling where I wanted and how I wanted them to feel at the point that I wanted them to. And he just did the most beautiful job. So we then collaborated a lot on every piece of theatre that I've done since then, Adrian's done with me. So when I came to do Henry, it just felt right that it was bringing him back to the screen, which, I mean, he'd carried on doing huge numbers of films at the same time, but just not with me, because I'd never done it before, with, you know, what is essentially a play. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention, a kingdom for a stage, Princes to act and monarchs to behold the swelling sea. Then should the warlike Harry, like himself, assume the port of Mars. And he was really interesting in wanting very strongly, he always starts with who the protagonists are and what instrument best represents them. And he wanted to go back 
and use instruments that are as close to kind of Elizabethan, yeah. if you like. Even down to the drums, so the drums that we used were very much sort of period kind of drums, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like that. And not all of it is, it's mixed with some very contemporary stuff. So his approach is, quite, is very organic again, I guess. It goes back to really who those, who those people are and what's the story they want to tell musically. Yeah. And he came down to the set one day and we were doing one of the battles and, you know, he just wanted to kind of be there to be part, to understand the feel, really, of what it was like on set, which was really, really useful and a, and a great addition. Up to the breach, you dogs! Avant, you Italians! Not be merciful, great gentlemen men of mold. Fight thy race, fight thy manly race. Fight thy race, great gentlemen! The blue hog, fight thy race! Use lenity, sweet chuck! The other thing that he did that was special on that piece is there was, there's a song that Pistol and his friends have to sing and he came in and slightly rewrote because again it's Shakespeare so you can put your own stamp on it but you know we'd set it pretty much in the time of mm. it so again he wanted to go back to the roots of that song and you know he was just fantastic in how you get contemporary meshed in but in a really sort of truthful way with the origins of either piece of music or a text. Bring yourself sack in a cup made of gold. Drink the health of King Henry alone. Bring me some sack in a cup made of straw. I shall not want for true love no more. It's really interesting you talking about the way that you've used music in theatre because theatre, TV, film and stuff, they're all used very differently. And music doesn't always necessarily have to be part of a theatre production when it's not a musical. Yeah, you know, the last piece of theatre that I worked on was Kevin Spacey's one-man show's last show at the Old Vic. And again, Adrian came to do that. And we used music incredibly sparsely, but we used it to open again because it just in terms of setting the atmosphere tells you so much for me about what you're about to see and who that person might be. Also, he layers up music so that we can then maybe take the violin away or keep the violin but take the piano away. Or And actually, you know what, it's exactly what we did with Craig as well. I love that moment with a, with a composer where they can hear all these extra layers in their head of these different instruments. I don't hear music like that. I can only hear it once I've heard it and then go, no, 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 we don't need the trumpet or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. But they can go, oh, and then what if we add this, 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 you know, and they can create an orchestra kind of out of nothing.
then you did a musical. And then I've done a musical, yeah. Yeah. Completely different experience, I imagine. Totally different, totally different. Every single song had to be a Whitney song, which was no problem for me because I knew them all <laughs> off by heart. <laughs> same, we're from the same era. She was just so magnificent, yeah. right? I've tried and failed so many times to do at least two of those songs at karaoke. I'm no fool. <laughs> I've never, ever tried to do them. Um, but I literally cannot sit still with some of them if they come on. Doesn't matter where I am. Even now, when I've heard them quite as many times as I have, the little hairs on the back of your neck go up at the beginning of the ballads. Or you shove I Wanna Dance on and <laughs> I will, all right, you're feeling yeah. the beat I right? will. immediately. <laughs> Very clever the way that you incorporate the music obviously into it as you had to as part of the story, but the way that it was taken on by different characters. Well, I worked very closely with the writer Alex Dillonorius on that, and he initially came up with all the ideas of where the songs should go, and mostly got them absolutely spot on. Some of them we played about with or split them up in a slightly different way. Mm. And also, I had a composer on that, Chris Egan, who's genius and was so clever at taking the tone, obviously, from Whitney and from the movie to a certain degree and incorporating. So the only bits of new music in that are his composition. But keeping it again within the world and walking that tightrope. You know, it's 20 years old, that movie. And acknowledging that, but trying to make it feel contemporary at the same time without losing what that original thing was. He's my bodyguard! So exciting to have these different plates that you can spin. Yeah, for some reason I realised that I really love doing stuff I don't know anything about. <laughs> I've never really been afraid of saying, no idea, I don't know, I don't know what the answer to that is. I know we'll find the answer, but I don't know what the answer right now is. I think I learned that early on with actors, you know, you get some really bright sparks who really early on in the process say, but you know, what does this really mean and how, how am I going to do this bit? And you go, babe, I don't know how we're going to do it. And I promise you, by the time I put you in front of a live audience, we will have found the answer. But we can't know it now because we've got this time ahead of us to find what the answer is. So I love that learning process and learning always try to surround myself with the best possible people and people who are way better than I am and can teach me along the way and who know about stuff that I don't know because together that's going to make it the whole thing as you know as, as rich as possible. I love how these different mediums have elements that are exactly the same and others that are completely unique to them and the experience of being in one and then taking that with you as you go back to one of the others is really interesting. Mm -hmm. 
and you realize how much you've learned when you go back to a, a different medium if you see it to me yeah yeah and how you can play about with it now in a new way because you've come from this other experience and then you know the crucial thing always is the collaboration isn't it and working with people who are happy to go with where your instinct wants to take it yeah um, and i love it when somebody takes me somewhere that i wasn't anticipating you know and you go oh my god that's so much better than i had hoped yeah and you just know for me i think you always know with music whether it's absolutely right or just a bit off and we need to keep going Our, our time is up unfortunately but congratulations on this film and also congratulations when you look at that director producers writer screenwriter it's all women I know go on you know girls fab <laughs> we never set out to do that obviously mm. and in this moment in time I'm really really proud of the fact that everybody who's worked on this movie was chosen because they were the best person for the movie and it so happens that most of the people in big decision-making positions on the movie are women and right now, thank God, because we've got to change those numbers, man. We've got to do something about it. So, yeah, very proud of that. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. From the score to me before you, that's Paris by Craig Armstrong, rounding off my conversation with Thea Sharrock. My thanks to Thea for taking the time to talk to us, Me Before You, is available now on home entertainment formats, with Craig's score released via Water Tower Music. Don't forget, you can find a full track list of the show via edithbowman.com, where you'll find all of our previous episodes of Soundtracking 2. My website is also the place to subscribe to the podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK, which is well worthwhile given that we frequently have prizes to give away. There's currently a record player up for grabs if you're quick. Next up is Tate Taylor, who brings us The Girl on the Train. I look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Music